Welcome to Next in Nonprofits. I'm Steve Boland, and I am very pleased to be joined today by Megan Anholt, Head of Strategy and COO at Whole Whale. Megan, thanks so much for taking the time. Yeah, really excited to be here. Thanks for inviting us. I asked for some help from Whole Whale to examine a fairly complicated issue that's in front of people right now about social media, advertising, responsibility, a lot of stuff. But before we get into the specifics of that particular piece, can you just introduce to folks that may not be familiar with Whole Whale, uh, what is the organization, what do you do, and what's your role there? Yeah, so Whole Whale is a B Corp social impact digital agency. We help uh, nonprofits and for good companies leverage their digital marketing and all of their digital channels to drive their impact goals. Uh, and my role there is working with all of our client teams. So we work with, as I mentioned, those client partners uh, and helping them make that progress. So it's a big space. There's just so many different ways <laughs> that charities and, and other businesses that are doing good in this world can think about connecting with audiences about their mission, their needs, um, all the rest of it. Um, so many different tactics. One of the biggest ones, of course, out there is using social media to connect with people who don't yet especially uh, know about your organizational mission. It's a great place for discovery. It's a great place for people to um, leverage uh, existing supporter networks to meet new supporters. There, there's all kinds of wonderful things about the tools. Um, but with all this newness in um, the ability to reach all these audiences comes complexity. And right now, uh, several charities have kind of banded together uh, to identify what they find as problems with the Facebook platform in particular and decisions being made there about advertising and um, whatnot in an uh, effort they're calling the Stop Hate for Profit campaign. And these different, uh, they've um, bought the URL so you can kind of see some of the organizations that are sponsoring the uh, effort there uh, at Stop Hate for Profit, I think it's .com. Um, take a peek at there to see some of the organizations that are there. But they're calling on um, for-profit businesses to consider a, a boycott, at least for the month of July, um, of paid advertising on Facebook. And uh, uh, Megan, I don't know if you feel comfortable enough talking about um, the concept of that boycott or mm -hmm. would you like me to kind of go into that? Have you been thinking about that part of it? Yeah, yeah. We've been doing a lot um, sort of looking into this and to just say sort of upfront that we and me personally really agree with the sentiment behind the July boycott. I think it's, you know, really unacceptable to enable incitement to violence against protesters fighting for justice in America in the wake of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Armand Aubrey and so many others. And Facebook has really enabled so much of this sort of behavior. They're really not doing everything in their power to protect these vulnerable communities and stop things like blatant voter suppression. They've turned a blind eye and are actively helping in some ways to promote hate and bigotry, racism and anti-Semitism and violence. And so none of this is okay. And I really respect the incredible work these organizations, including the NAACP and Color, for Ch Color of Change, the ADL, Common Sense Media, Free Press, and others who have put together this like powerful campaign call to action to get Facebook's attention and really try to leverage the power of advertisers on the platform who are, uh, who are really putting millions of dollars into the platform uh, and be able to use that to influence those, uh, the platform, Facebook itself, to change some of their policies and behaviors as it relates to these pieces. 
And just a moment more of background, as I've been reading this, they're calling specifically for some particular uh, examples of uh, citing Breitbart News, the Daily Caller, as mm -hmm. uh, trusted partners within the Facebook infrastructure. And um, there's there's a lot of, again, complexity around all of these issues, but I do think that um, looking at what, what exactly are they asking Facebook to do differently, it's like, well, here's some really easy examples, right? The, that Breitbart News as a trusted news source is yeah. a very easy one to kind of point to and say, there's a fix, you know, of some <laughs> level that you can begin relatively quickly. Does that mean that they don't get to publish on the platform? Not necessarily, right? But at least they don't need to be elevated to a higher status than other news sources in the platform. So there are some specific things that uh, this particular campaign is calling for in terms of that. Uh, I, I've heard some, I, I think, um, challenging criticism around, well, what exactly do you expect them to do? And I'm like, well, <laughs> more than they've done, I think is is okay uh, to ask for. But there are concrete, very specific steps in a couple of examples. Now, after those happen, it could be that there's a dialogue about how to improve it beyond those things. But mm -hmm. there are some specific things to say, these are identifiable problems within this infrastructure that is infinitely within the power of Facebook to fix. Facebook is an advertising company, right? They, according to these websites, they made $70 billion in advertising last year. So if advertisers come to them and say, we won't spend money uh, until you start addressing these issues, that hopefully opens up the conversation. Um, so with that background, um, I think it really is, a, to me particularly, somebody who works with nonprofit organizations exclusively, it's challenging to think about what is the role of charities here mm -hmm. in this space um, and how they have to kind of observe or at least what's going on and realize many charities pay to advertise in Facebook too. Again, for mm -hmm. really good reasons that we kind of indicated at the top here, um, that it's an effective way to meet new people and to engage new audiences and all sorts of things. But in this moment in particular, as you start thinking about talking to your clients and, and whatnot, how do you help them start sorting out um, what they consider in this particular time, especially in July, about their own internal spends, although the, the campaign is not mm -hmm. asking nonprofit organizations to not spend, but nevertheless, I think it's kind of implied, boy, we're asking everybody to think about this, so how do you start thinking about it? Yeah, I think it's a really good question. And it's definitely one we've actually gotten directly from some of our nonprofit partners. And so it's something that we are thinking a lot about. And so I think as it relates specifically to this campaign, the Stop Hate for Profit campaign, uh, I think it's important to point out that they are specifically targeting businesses uh, and doing so for a reason. And that's because these businesses are likely spending millions of dollars in advertising on Facebook and Instagram each year and really have that sort of power and that clout uh, in order to be able to leverage and stop doing so. Uh, and so I also think it's important to recognize that not all small businesses and nonprofits in particular can necessarily afford to pull ads from the platform right now in July where they are in many cases serving valuable resources and information to vulnerable communities during a really critical time in America. So to just give you kind of a quick snapshot of some of the types of ads that we currently are sort of uh, running on Facebook for some of our nonprofit partners, we're providing immunosuppressed communities with critical health information and resources during COVID-19. There's you know, helplines support and mental health resources for those in crisis, housing tools to help people protect people who may not be able to pay their rent due to the economic crisis, and also in some cases emergency crisis response 
fundraising for communities hit hard by the by this crisis. And so I think it's important to sort of consider those things in context context as well. Uh, and as it relates to this campaign, you know, I there's a number of great or great brands who have really stepped up in joining this campaign, like Patagonia, North Face, Ben and Jerry's, Eddie Bauer. And you know, I don't mean to sort of minimize their brand commitment, but these are also consumer brands who are really well known for their social consciousness. And they're also likely recognizing that retail sales are down across the board anyway because of COVID right now. And they can likely get a much greater PR brand boost from being seen as those values-driven disruptors right now in this moment. And so I do think it's important to sort of look at this campaign uh, in, in that context because they are specifically targeting big businesses, consumer brands who do have sort of those visible uh, public profiles that can actually influence those nonprofit partners. I mean, sorry, <laughs> that can actually influence these uh, Facebook as a, as a platform. Right. And I, I just checked the list ahead of the starting to record uh, this conversation and Verizon is now listed. So, I mean, talk about large players uh, in that space. <laughs> it's, um, you know, one might think, uh, you know, North Face is a little niche and, you know, some of these other players are a little bit smaller and, and you know, maybe they get that PR value out of this uh, stance more than the value of the advertisement, but certainly organizations the size of Verizon, uh, one would think, wow, that's, um, a, a different scale again from some of the smaller partners that are choosing to participate. Uh, so, right there, there may be really good reasons why any one individual charity may continue to spend money on the platform during July. Um, you mentioned immunosuppressed people in particular to try and get good information to at this point. Um, so, I, I think that one of the reasons I, I reached out to to say could we have this conversation is um, every charity really should take a look at what they're doing in this context and say, is it still more important for the mission work of the organization to do these things or should we do something else? So mm -hmm. let's assume that there's some other charities out there um, where this isn't as mission critical to have paid posts or paid advertising on the Facebook platform this month. Um, should they be kind of thinking to themselves, wow, do we do some statement in solidarity with this cause? Uh, is it something that uh, um, mm -hmm. we, we should just quietly step back and let the uh, organizations that are um, leading the charge kind of have that space? Um, I, I mean, to me, it seems like there's more of a call for allyship than there is a call for stepping back, but I don't know that mm -hmm. that's the only two responses. Um, for people that don't have that sort of immediacy in need, do you have a, a thought process that you as a, a whole whaler might kind of help them think through what are the pluses and minuses of just kind of staying the course and participating as you had versus making some adjustments this month? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think organizations that do feel like that they are in a position to sort of join the boycott and take a stand against Facebook's unacceptable choices and practices absolutely should. Uh, and I think, you know, if you're looking at advertising on Facebook versus other platforms. I think there's a lot of opportunities out there for uh, organizations to explore. Um, I personally don't think that smaller nonprofits should have to feel pressure to sort of choose between having an impact for their mission by say like running Facebook ads and their personal values, um, which are obviously aligned with the sentiment of this campaign. I definitely don't think that's sort of the point of the campaign, but at the same time, I think as we're looking more broadly, so looking beyond just this uh, July boycott, but really as we view the practices of Facebook as a platform. And so 
So say they don't make the choice to sort of make any changes organizationally to address some of these very valid concerns that uh, organizations and communities have, then I think we really do across the board need to look sort of long-term around what that looks like. And I think, you know, Facebook is absolutely a behemoth right now, right? It's right. a, you know, $1.6 billion or sorry, 1.6 billion person platform. Uh, and so I think there's some real risk in progressive communities sort of pulling off of that platform and handing over the power of that community to more extremist and right wing white wing groups. And so I would be very fearful of um, sort of enabling that, which actually could have an overall net negative. But I, regardless, I think that um, at the end of the day, Facebook is no longer a long-term sustainable choice for nonprofits. There's a ton of value there. It's really valuable for fundraising where $3 billion have been raised on Facebook to date. Like that's nothing to sneeze at, but I think there's a lot of sort of other opportunities uh, and areas to explore for nonprofits as well. So I think that is important uh, to think about both um, the long-term impact of if this uh, particular platform isn't going to make some substantive changes, um, what's the strategy and, and all the rest of it. But there's this dual concern about sort of seeding the platform uh, to, you know, the daily callers of the world and just assuming that that's the only news left uh, if everybody that has alternative uh, um, viewpoints just kind of mm -hmm. leaves. Um, that's a concern. But there's also a little bit of this, um, you know, how complicit are we um, by using this platform? Because the only way to, if, you know, use it in, in larger effect is really these days for organizations anyway, is to pay uh, to play. But the algorithm mm -hmm. has depressed natural and organic interactions for nonprofit pages or business type pages, anything that's not an individual person, to the point where if you're extremely good at this with a really passionate audience, you can still get some uh, organic attention. But I, I think most charities find that if you just you know put up information about you know here's really important stuff about what's going on with coronavirus and immunosuppressed people, if you aren't somehow pushing that engagement. Um, more substantively, the chance of it getting buried um, is still pretty high, even if it's really accurate, really important, really good stuff that your audience would love to see. The Facebook algorithm by nature does not want you to interact with those sorts of things that may uh, detract from interacting with other stuff that the algorithm mm -hmm. does want you to see. So I think looking at like if we come in here and, and agree to participate in this space, and we do so only using the, the native organic tools that are available to us. If you measure that uh, impact from most charities, you're going to see pretty low numbers compared to the people that are presumably following you, that are interested mm -hmm. in your cause, all the rest of it. Um, when you talk with folks from Whole Whale about you know, your overall outreach strategies and getting your mission in front of people and all these things, how do you help people think about the organic nature of what Facebook is versus um, the both paid posts promoting within existing audiences and more advertising to new audiences that aren't participating? You know, outside the context of this particular boycott, how do you help people think about that organic versus paid participation as a organization? Yeah, I, I think this is a really critical question and something that we talk about a lot internally. And for us, I think one of the key messages that we like to leave our nonprofit partners with is that for organizations today, Facebook is not a social network. 
it's an advertising platform and in some cases a fundraising platform. But um, I, to your point, if you look at the data, you know, organic reach and organic engagement on platform has been steadily on the decline for several years. And I think as organizations think about the power of Facebook as a tool for engaging and reaching the, their communities, I think it really is critical to look at that, particularly at, through an advertising lens uh, and also a sort of peer-to-peer -peer fundraising lens. Uh, and so it, it really is a pay-to-play pay, pay -play platform. It can be very effective in doing so. But I think one of the critical strategies that we talk a lot about as you look at Facebook is really thinking of it as a place to meet people where they are yeah. uh, and try to sort of extract them from that platform into these other communities that you uh, have available through your organization. And one of the biggest ones is through email. And so being able to use Facebook advertising to capture email addresses and be able to actually nurture and build relationships with those people off platform through email events, other you know webinars and different types of things that you might be offering that enable you to build those relationships that aren't so reliant on Facebook as a platform itself. Yeah. No, I, I think that makes sense. And is uh, sometimes for smaller organizations anyway, who um, don't necessarily look as carefully as they should at the insights that are provided, you know, on the platform, you don't have to go far, but you do have to look uh, to understand that difference between the number of people that may have liked your page at one point versus the folks that actually get to see any one particular post, share, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's pretty startling if you're not paying to get in front of those folks. And, you know, prior to this particular controversy and I, I think you rightly point out that this drift has been happening over years it's not just all of a sudden turned on in the last month but um, but previously I do think that there was uh, um, uh, an ability to talk a little bit more about this as a, a more neutral platform and something mm -hmm. that is kind of akin to uh, um, sending mail through the post office right you know you put a stamp <laughs> on everything you send um, this is a lot less expensive than stamps um, and you know a lot easier to measure who's actually impacted by the messages you're trying to reach and want willing to engage with you. So there have been a lot of really good reasons to think about uh, paying for that postage to get that message to somebody who may be interested in really um, getting, taking advantage of your services, uh, mm -hmm. being a funding supporter, whatever the right thing may be. Um, so I think looking at that cost and that spend has been a really important um, shift in thinking from the early, early days where it's like, well, mm -hmm. this is free. <laughs> I'm supposed to be here <laughs> doing this free thing. I'm like, well, kind of. I mean, you know. That's um, how they get you. Right. <laughs> um, Nothing's it, ever free. <laughs> well, it's the old saw that, you know, if you're not paying for the product, you are the product, right? That's the, um, uh -huh. that's, you know, important for charities to remember too. Um, and I think one of the things that's been challenging for me about Facebook as a fundraising platform Again, if you're not particularly savvy about this and haven't registered correctly and didn't think about all this, getting the data back out isn't default easy. Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, what Facebook wants is that data. They want to know that you are the kind of person that um, supports, you know, this charity or that charity. Uh, they want to know that that charity is advertising and you had a connection, so they learn more about things that way. They get a tremendous benefit out of, you know, these quote-unquote charitable deductions, but mostly if you haven't done your homework right and signed up correctly, all you're going to get is a check from Network for Good in six weeks that you didn't understand yep. where the heck it came from. Uh, so it's like, where did all these people, who, how many people is that? Where did it come from? <laughs> Um, so I think it's it's good to understand that when you're talking about billions of you or well you know I guess in total billions of users the daily active number being lower but um, in total number of registered users on the platform in the billions plural and and thinking right we could 
maybe make some money on that. If all you wanted was just a little bit of money, okay, um, maybe that's good. But if you want to have a connection and a relationship with that donor, setting it up correctly so that you're actually being able to help move that relationship off the Facebook platform when the mm -hmm. time is right um, is not falling off a log easy in my experience. And I don't mm -hmm. know, as um, folks that might come to Whole Whale and say, can you help us do that part of it right so that when, when we do get a donation, we are connecting with that person in a way where we can connect with them outside of Facebook. Facebook at some point in the future. Yeah, and we've actually built a specific tool just to address this problem. We have a Facebook fundraising dashboard that is, uh, I believe, a free tool available, though there might be a small fee. Uh, and uh, it exists so that you can sort of be able to, one, track who is donating through these peer-to-peer -peer fundraisers uh, and actually be able to follow up with them individually by clicking a link through the fundraisers that they've supported uh, and thanking them directly, because we think thanking your donors, even on Facebook, isn't critical important. We believe that you should thank your donors for more times uh, and to reinforce sort of the value of that donation. And uh, so we've created this tool that you can actually follow the links and be able to make those communications and potentially even offer them an opportunity to join your newsletter or take part in other actions that might exist through your site. So again, um, sort of using the actions that they've taken on Facebook uh, and really uh, inviting them to be a part of your broader community and network. So for those that are going to look at this question about this moment in time and you know the last few years really and, and mm -hmm. think kind of critically about the engagement in the platform, if you're going to do this, let's do it right. You know, really think about that, that um, uh, dashboard opportunity to say, if part of what you want to do here is fundraising, uh, don't just say, hey, click a Facebook fundraiser and, and mm -hmm. see what money comes out at the end. You really want to be intentional about setting up ahead of time correctly so that you are getting that information later. Certainly that holds true through this campaign, after this campaign, um, all of that. So as we think about those things, I want to ask a little bit more about this question of um, not just do we continue to spend money or do we um, try to just go organic for a little while during this mm -hmm. phase or whatever, but do we more affirmatively um, kind of show that allyship and join up and, and start our Facebook posts for the month with, hey, <laughs> we know this campaign is going on on Facebook here. We want to acknowledge this moment and not just kind of internally only adjust our strategy, but maybe publicly um, address this question of both allyship, if this is part of what we want to do, or at least sort of acknowledging some complicity, um, if that's where that goes. And that's uh, again, wholly, I think, dependent on the organization's mission and supporters and whatnot as to how much of that do you do think about all the rest of it. Um, I, I can't imagine there's a one-size-fits-all solution to that, but are, are you thinking about and having conversations with some of your clients about that? Yeah, and I think, you know, as you said, I think it's up to each organization individually. You are the ones that are going to know your audience and your mission and your role best. But as I said before, I think if you are in a position to sort of stand in solidarity publicly or otherwise, I think there's value in that. Uh, but I also think that it's important to sort of hold and have empathy for ourselves, too, as we work through these pro towards progress. I think uh, as progressives, we tend to really hold ourselves up uh, and organizationally can really hold ourselves to a really high standard uh, and try to be all the things for all the people. Uh, and so just acknowledging that sometimes uh, in service of our specific mission goals, which are having an impact in people's lives every day, uh, we might not be able or be in a position to be able to make those statements. And that's totally okay too. 
Good. No, that's really appropriate. I'm glad that you brought that up. Uh, so weigh those things, be intentional about it, think it through. Don't necessarily feel like you've got to make a gut reaction decision one way or another. But um, but I think the important thing that I would urge here is to uh, don't just by default not do anything because you're not sure how to respond. Uh, you know, seek advice from the folks at Whole Whale, other places. Um, talk to other partner organizations. You know, get get some feedback, but decide intentionally what you're going to do at least through this period. And we, um, I think, you know, Megan, you threw it out there that if this ship doesn't turn around pretty soon, it may not be a sustainable place for charities to continue to do their outreach, their connection to folks. If that's true and that comes out, how do we start thinking about alternative ways of meeting people that fill the need of what, you know, a very large, well, the largest in the world platform um, does outside of, you know, things like email, of course, which work fantastic if you have addresses for people, but don't help you connect if you don't have them. Yeah, I think it's a great question. And there's a lot of other pl platforms out there. And we've been experimenting with a lot of them uh, at, at Whole Whale. And a lot of them are sort of core to our day to day. So one uh, that we particularly think has a really high value is the Google Ad Grant through Google's program where they provide up to $10,000 in search, yep. in kind search advertising each month. And that can be tremendously valuable for organizations who are trying to meet their communities in moments where there's a need base, where they're searching for particular resources or information and the organization is well equipped to sort of be there to provide the answers uh, that those, those communities might be looking for. And so that is certainly something that, um, we think you can really get a ton of value out of. And so if you haven't had an opportunity to take a look at that, I recommend it. We also have a course at uh, Whole Whale University uh, that does really show you how you can leverage the Google Ad Grant for some of the things that we're talking about. Uh, we also really like YouTube um, for particularly capturing relevant attention. So YouTube isn't nearly as good, at least presently, as Facebook in terms of driving traffic or conversions on site, but it's really good about capturing attention. And so they have a you know minimum 30 second video view, which we've been able to see um, capture through advertising for as little as two cents for that view. And so wow. that can be really powerful for nonprofits who have great video and storytelling content at their disposal. Uh, and they're trying to reach communities with those particular messages that way. So there's a ton of other sort of audio platforms you can experiment with. Um, other display advertising, obviously the Google display network. Uh, you mentioned Verizon. Verizon. There's a Verizon display network and sort of other emerging platforms out there. So there's a lot to play around with uh, and experiment with for, uh, for organizations looking for other solutions. You know, I think a lot of us that have done uh, paid advertisement, paid promoted posts on tools like Facebook are um, using it, A, because yes, it's very effective, but it's also extremely inexpensive. So as you start thinking yeah. about some of these other um, opportunities, uh, you know, I, I've worked with a lot of charities that have used the Google Grants uh, tool, um, but stick to the grants side of it rather than to the display network. So the grants are, are really only available within the search platform platform and not the display platform. If you're going to go there, you do need to pay uh, to participate. But I don't know a lot of folks that, that use that and look at results. Is that you know comparable in cost and benefit, or are we um, going to just need to pay a little bit more if we're going to have to use that kind of a tool? 
Yeah, so right now there's just nothing as comparable in terms of conversion rates and low cost as Facebook. Uh, And that's why it is the behemoth that it is, is because you can reach a very targeted niche community uh, for very low cost. And we even have a, you know, $100 a month ad platform. That's really low and you can have a lot of impact in reaching your specific community with that uh, through Facebook. But that being said, um, these other alternative platforms do do other things really well. And so as I said, um, you know, with YouTube, it's great for relevant attention. I would say display is also really good for that if you need to reach a volume of people. Um, and, and you can do that for fairly cheaply. It's just when you start to look at actually driving conversions, like capturing emails, um, signing petitions on site, um, donations, and those types of things. Uh, and they're just right now, unfortunately, aren't good alternatives, value for money uh, that you get from the Facebook platform. So I've not spent as much time recently. I, I you know, um, should confess that I have uh, rage quit Facebook twice in my lifetime so far. And, uh, you know, there's only so quick you can stay when you work in community communications like this because it really <laughs> has been the thing. So my current Facebook profile is only there so that I can work with clients. I, I don't do um, any personal things on that platform anymore. Um, but I do find it interesting to kind of think how many other people are, um, finding like eventually as an audience, we too are um, feeling like this platform um, that continues to do these things that, I mean, I, I think arguably harm democracy. Uh, mm-hmm. Eventually some of those users are going to have to start turning elsewhere and looking at other things as well. It doesn't mean people give up their Facebook uh, profile, but it may mean that they go less, they spend less time, they're a, bit, a little bit less engaged. Those kinds of things could happen. Have you seen any data about engagement rates um, shifting or has it stayed fairly on a good growth curve for Facebook? I just haven't researched that. Yeah, uh, we looked at it actually fairly recently and um, I, I would say things have probably shifted more in the last one to six months than they have any time in the previous uh, several years. Uh, Facebook has had a pretty steady growth trajectory that I think has slowed, but I think you would be hard pressed to say that it is declining uh, in terms of overall engagement. But, you know, that being said, we as users on the platform have the most power. Uh, And I think, you know, we talk about, we have been talking about, you know, nonprofits and living their values and pulling off of the Facebook platform. But at the end of the day, you know, nonprofits are just meeting people where they are. And so I think the real question that you've also raised here is, you know, at what point do people and individuals start pulling off of the platform en masse? Because that's how Facebook is truly going to lose its power. It has the power that it has because of the, you know, decades of user data and active users that they have and machine learning that they've been able to develop over time. And so we really have that in our power as individual users um, to sort of to be able to create that shift. Yeah, and it is so challenging to think about something as large as Facebook um, having any impact from smaller numbers of people going, you know, this isn't okay with me. I don't want to participate this way anymore. Um, That it seems like it would take something pretty big. Uh, But I do think that the the scope of it may not compare to the the MySpace-ness of what happened uh, when when Mm -hmm. MySpace was the big thing. But we all thought that was too big to ever shift or (laughs) fail. Um, And lo and behold, you know, Facebook, of course, became margin factors uh, much, much larger, but we just didn't see that as a possibility way back when, when that was a fairly large 
thing. Um, so I do think it's important to think that this is an important um, element for nonprofits to consider, to think about, to plan for right now, but it may shift over time. Uh, if the platform doesn't change, if, if uh, these large-scale advertisers start reaching um, some of their audiences and explaining why they're making these choices, uh, that may have more of an impact than uh, the individual charities that had been doing that. So that, that to me is a little hopeful, but I do think mm -hmm. it is incumbent on the nonprofit organizations that are looking at these shifts now to, as you said, start thinking now, if that platform isn't the same as it was for whatever reason, either the user engagement goes down or we just don't feel comfortable doing business in that space anymore, how do we continue to get the word out about this mission and where do we go where people are? And I think yeah. that's a, a really important and challenging space to um, think about. And I don't know, again, that there's any one answer, but there may be more segmented answers. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, the the growth and, and whatnot on Twitter um, is not anywhere at a Facebook scale. But if what you're trying to do is have a conversation about civil rights organizations, Twitter's the better place for it, I think, in, in um, my opinion, because of the, the way that native amplification is working, not necessarily a better advertising place, mm -hmm. um, but a, a better place where the community itself is doing the work for you. Um, but, you know, if, if on the other hand, you're, you know, a, a puppy charity that's looking to do adoptions, that's probably not going to have nearly the impact as being on a Instagram kind of thing, which for people that aren't aware is owned by Facebook. So you always got to look at the whole ecosystem. Mm hmm. So yeah. do you think about those, uh, you know, other platforms? I, I mean, uh, Twitter being one, but there's a, you know, a few other things out there to go. Uh, are there n niches where this fits over here? And we can even today still reach some people in a space where they're gathering, but it's not going to be that big everybody's in one tent. Rather, there's several smaller ones based on what your mission is and who you are. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, those strategies are evolving and a lot of those platforms are also shifting to, you know, instead of being a part of a broader maybe display network, you can do direct advertising through different constituent media and different communities there. And so, um, you know, I think it's a good idea for any nonprofit to really do their research and understand who their audiences um, are and where where they are uh, in terms online, what communities, what media are they consuming, uh, and see if there are sort of advertising or sponsorship opportunities available within those communities. And I think, you know, that's something that nonprofit communities have done for, or nonprofit organizations have done for a really long time. Yeah. Uh, the challenge there is always cost. Uh, yes. And so what's great, has always been great about Facebook is you could do, if you have $50, you can do $50, a uh, $50 ad campaign and reach 15 people that are really high value, high impact people. And so, you know, the challenge of these individual more sort of uh, niche uh, media opportunities is that you tend to have to do sort of bigger buys there. Yeah. Or spend a tremendous amount of staff time uh, right. trying to sort through how to use it appropriately and whatnot. And um, I was talking with uh, George at Holwell a little while ago, and we really wanted to emphasize that point that, you know, some of these things are quote unquote free to do, um, but the amount of staff time that goes into doing them well and really engaging an audience to try and be your advocates and your 
um, amplification out there um, is not less expensive than advertising. You know, no, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we talk about, we talk about that a lot as it relates to organic social media because in many organizations today, you usually have somebody that's dedicated to sort of posting on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and doing that organic work and thinking that that's sort of like free. Um, and then oftentimes organizations don't want to put budgets to do advertising. But at the end of the day, you're paying that person. Like that person's time is money uh, through the organization. And it does make sense to make sure that you're thinking about, is that work effective? As we talked about, you know, the organic reach has been declining. And so right. it makes a lot of sense to, to make sure you have those budgets for the advertising and that the time that the team is dedicating to it. And, and we're running low on time. I do want to take a, a moment to just kind of think through that question of the um, the flash in the pan kind of social hypeness things of things like the Stakeums account, right? That um, and you know somebody listening to this in six months is going to have no idea what I'm talking about. But um, <laughs> there's you know a, a, a frozen meat product out there that had this moment where they put some really smart people on their social media accounts that my guess is spent a fair amount of time. Really really thinking through and crafting those messages and they mm -hmm. worked, right? They got a tremendous amount of brand awareness and play that had nothing to do with people going out and buying their product. But boy, did folks really start feeling some brand affinity, some conversation, all the rest of it. But my guess is the amount of uh, staff time that had to go into shifting their conversation into being sort of this woke brand uh, away from, you know, what they're traditionally doing could not have been inexpensive. I would love to see a study someday on what they spent on that, but I got to think it was yep. interesting anyway. Um, so uh, it, just a, a quick thought on that. I don't imagine anybody at the office at, at Holwell has been talking about <laughs> things like that. Um, interesting to me. But I do think that um, as we kind of wind down here, I would love to just ask you as you think about um, those kinds of moments of, or, of, you know, brands kind of stepping a little outside their ne necessarily core mission and thinking, if I address this moment in time, um, I, I gain some value in that in other ways. But again, it may cost some extra staff time, all the rest of it. You may have to give up uh, a little bit of the, the oxygen that you would use for other communications because there's only so much attention you're likely to get. So um, th things to think about, certainly, as, as uh, nonprofits consider this. But if you had um, a closing moment or two of advice that you'd like to kind of leave folks with as they're thinking about this campaign in the coming month? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think to what you're just speaking to, I think one of the big things is just making sure that with the staff that you do have on your team, that you're supporting them not only with clear goals and understanding sort of what they're trying to achieve through some of these efforts, but also actually providing them with resources to be effective. And so I think that does include having an advertising budget. Yeah. So to just make that sort of plea uh, for nonprofit communities uh, because it can have a lot of value, even with fundraising. So you could use money to make money that way. So really supporting those staff with, with those resources. And then as we look, you know, more holistically at what's going on uh, with Facebook and across sort of all of these media platforms that have all of this consolidated power, um, I'm really energized uh, about, you know, all of these organizations and individuals who are really trying to wield their individual power, either as we were talking about as an individual and being able to pull off these platforms personally or organizationally and being able to support campaigns like this or as brands and advertisers who are putting money into these platforms and really being able to leverage that power to try to influence Facebook to change. Um, 
I'm hopeful that they are going to be responsive to this campaign specifically and the very clear guidelines and opportunities for change that have been outlined there. But regardless, I love the idea of continuing to hold these platforms accountable through each of these individual actions that we can all take both individually and collectively. So individually, I and maybe this is at the um, Stop Hate for Profit website. I haven't seen that. I mean, are there things that they're urging individuals to also like, like post on the platform that I support these goals uh, in this campaign and share the website? Or what, what are the individual actions that we could be doing sort of immediately around July? Do you have a sense? Yeah, I don't know if they're calling for it directly uh, through the site itself, though obviously the Stop Hate for Profit uh, hashtag has really been gaining momentum and there's opportunities to really share and leverage that. And I think from my perspective, one of the greatest things we can do as individuals and as consumers is apply uh, pressure to those big brands that really wow. are the ones that are spending the billions of dollars on the platform. And so if you have brands that you really support, calling them out individually in a lot of the ways that you've seen these organizations do uh, and trying to really invite them to participate in this campaign because I think they've done a really good job setting a call to action that I think is very attainable right now, um, given the moment and where people stand. And so there is a unique opportunity in July uh, to be able to leverage this power and try to get Facebook's attention. Right. So, for example, uh, I'm a T-Mobile customer, not a Verizon customer. It might be a good <laughs> opportunity for me to, hey, uh, I see Verizon's on board, uh, T-Mobile, hello, I'm customer of yours, where are you at? Um, kind of uh, thing to participate in um, as you look at the list of those folks. Right. People that you're already spending money with, ask them to you know, join in, see what they're going to do. Those kinds of things are good individual actions we can do while our organizations are considering how they respond. Um, yeah. Great. Great closing thought. Uh, so I just want to uh, take a moment to say thank you to uh, Megan Anholt, to the head of strategy and COO at Whole Whale. Megan, thank you again for your time. Yeah, thank you. It was great.